looking around um, at what everyone is wearing. <laughs> it seems that there's a an awareness that the weather changed from yesterday <laughs> to today. And that is anicca. That's impermanence, change. How many liked it yesterday? How many liked the, the heat? How many prefer it to be cooler? <laughs> so for those of us who prefer the heat, we've seen that the hot weather is unreliable. <laughs> it ain't gonna last. And for those of you who prefer the cool, I think we'll see that it's not gonna last. <laughs> it's unreliable. And that is the characteristic of dukkha, of unreliability. And looking around, I see that all of us are wearing a lot more clothes than we were yesterday. That is anatta, interdependence, the weather affecting us, determining what we wear. So in giving attention to the weather, we see, and, and our response to the weather, we see the three characteristics. And in this way, we can look at all things and our relationships to all things. And we can see in any moment, in anything, we can see the three characteristics. And this is such a, a wonderful aspect of the Buddha's teachings that really does make the teachings a refuge. The Buddha, the way that the teachings the teachings show so clearly how things are. And the way that the, the teachings give us a road map, a path. The teachings tell us exactly how to be, what to do, how to understand. And this is why we call the teachings a refuge. They're a refuge because they give us guidance and they inspire us, and they bring clarity to our understanding. To see the teachings in every moment, to see the three characteristics in every moment, is to understand and to know the Dharma. So this evening I'd like to, um, I'd like to kind of follow on a bit from from Molly's wonderful talk last night on the, the path of the Four Noble Truths. And um, I'd like to speak about, um, about the, how the, how the teachings explain so clearly the origin and the ending of dukkha. And um, I'd like to begin by reading passage. If you remember a few nights ago I spoke about the life of the Buddha and talked about how after his awakening he had this doubt. Should I teach this? Shouldn't I teach it? Will anyone understand it? And um, just like to read a paragraph um, in which he's expressing his doubt. He says, I considered this Dhamma that I have attained is profound hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime. 
unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle, to be experienced by the wise. So some, some, some really important points here. One is hard to see and hard to understand. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's, it's very simple, but it's not easy. And I think we all have a sense of that from the last few days. The path is not an easy one. Hard to see and hard to understand. Peaceful and sublime. When the understanding drops in, we know the experience of the peacefulness. The peacefulness of insight, the peacefulness of understanding, the peacefulness of, of non-clinging. We know that. It's peaceful and sublime. This is a really important one. Unattainable by mere reasoning. Unattainable by mere reasoning. Can't be known through the mind, through logic, through reasoning, through thought, through figuring out. Subtle, subtle, subtle. The teachings are pointing to very subtle levels. The clinging happens at such subtle levels. The craving happens in such subtle ways. <coughs> Last night Molly spoke about the, the trickiness of the mind. It's true, the mind really tricks and manipulates in subtle ways, in ways that we don't even realize it's happening, like a magician. <laughs> Unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle to be experienced by the wise. So the Buddha is saying right here, the understanding comes through experience. It comes out of our experience, not through reasoning not through logic, through experience. And this is why so much emphasis is put on the mindfulness of body, because this is the, the experience of the body is the present experience. This is what's happening. And we give attention to what's happening to, to see, to feel the three characteristics. So this Dhamma, is profound, hard to see, hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle, to be experienced by the wise. And then he goes on and he says, but this generation delights in worldliness, <laughs> takes delight in worldliness, rejoices in worldliness. <laughs> Yeah, I think <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> Takes delight in worldliness, rejoices in worldliness. So the, the Pali word that's translated as worldliness, very interesting dictionary definition. The Pali the Pali dictionary, the first translation of it is roosting place. <laughs> roosting place. So this, 
this generation delights in delights in settling somewhere and feeling having the sense of solidity and security and identity delights in having that rejoices in it rejoices in it and it's and it's it's pointing to the to the way and the ways that we crave for and seek out and 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 the way that the mind manipulates to give the the feeling of the 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 apparent experience of permanence of solidity of continuity of having a place so this worldliness this this roosting place is anything we identify with as me or mine. We take delight in that. This generation takes delight in me and mine. 2,600 years ago, the Buddha, was, the Buddha was talking about this. We think it's bad now. <laughs> you know, we tend to think, well, no, there is much less of this stuff years ago, but here, 2,600 years ago, the Buddha is saying, this generation takes delight in this, rejoices in it, rejoices in this, this having a place and identifying with it, whatever that place is, whether it's a, a physical place where you live, or whether it's your job, or whether it's your relationship, or whether it's your health condition, or whether it's... Um, your, what, you're, what you wear, your clothing, or the weather that you like, or whatever. Whatever gets taken up is your place. And because of this, it is hard for such a generation to see this truth, namely conditionality, dependent origination, it is hard for such a generation to see this truth, namely conditionality, dependent origination. So dependent origination is a theme which is, is really central to the Buddha's teachings, to the Dharma. Dependent origination, it's very much related to anatta. The Buddha, the Buddha describes, um, describes dependent origination like this. He says, when this exists, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. With the cessation of this, that ceases. Okay? So it's how things condition each other. How things, the existence of things is dependent on each other. The, depend, the, the existence of this is dependent on the existence of that. The existence of us wearing more clothes is dependent on the existence of cooler weather. OK? 
Okay, so this is this is how the Buddha defines dependent origination, and 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 then he he uses dependent origination to explain how dukkha arises, how suffering arises, and how it can be ended. And the 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 four noble truths, the four noble truths that Molly spoke about last night, is is a, a short form of dependent origination. So, so the Buddha starts with, there is dukkha. And we start with that point, there is dukkha, and by paying attention to dukkha, by paying attention to dukkha, this conditions the knowing of the cause of dukkha. And the knowing of the cause of dukkha conditions <coughs> the end of dukkha, conditions the releasing. And the releasing conditions uh, conditions the living of the path. And the the um, the, uh, the the Buddha referred to the, the the knowing of the ending of dukkha, the the first the first moment of, of really deeply knowing the the ending of dukkha and and understanding and knowing this this chain. Of facing the dukkha, opening to the dukkha, knowing the cause, and from that knowing the ending. This point of knowing that ending, the Buddha referred to as entering the stream. That's the point at which we enter the path. And so the entry of the path is conditioned by knowing the ending of dukkha. And and um, I, I often, I often, I often ask people, why, why have you come to meditation? Why have you come on retreat? And and the the answer is almost always, not always, but almost always, some variation of the theme of I'm I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for calmness. Um, I don't want to suffer. Basically, I don't want to suffer. And why meditation? Why come to meditation? Well, I've tried so many other things and didn't work. You know, I lived in the palace. I had all the <laughs> luxuries. And, you know, I had the good job with lots of pay, and that didn't do it. And then I lived really simply, and that didn't do it. And um, and I took the drugs, and that didn't do it. <laughs> and, and you know, I tried all these things, and. And yet, and yet, there's 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 some sense of 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 knowing that yes, the ending of dukkha is possible. There's some sense of knowing it's possible. And it's that it's that sense of knowing that it's possible that keeps us trying <coughs> to find the path. And why do we? Uh, how, why is it that that we we have that that sense that yes, it can be ended. There is an ending. I would say it's because we have experienced it. We've had moments of knowing it. We've had moments of knowing the possibility. And so we look for a way to get it back. <laughs> And so, from the knowing, 
that conditions the entry into the path. And of course then, once we enter in the path, then the path leads us to. So it becomes, so the Four Noble Truths, is, it's, 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 it's portrayed as a four-step thing, but it's actually more of a circle. You know, we enter the path, and the first thing the path says is, well, this is dukkha, open to it. So we're right back at the first noble truth. And we go through, we go through. And so, so the Four Noble Truths is, is an expression of dependent arising, dependent origination, because it's a step-by-step, step, and each step is dependent on the previous. And the Eightfold Path, to a certain extent, also is an example of, of dependent <coughs> arising. Okay, so we start, we start with some degree of wisdom, and based on that wisdom, so we start with some sense of, of dukkha and the ending of dukkha, and that conditions setting the intention. Ah, yes, okay, so my intention is to, is to live in a way that's, that's non-harming, and that's compassionate, and that's kind, and that's peaceful. And then having that intention, that leads us to giving attention, giving more attention to our ethical life, to our speech, our actions, our livelihood. How are, how are, our, how are our speech, action, and livelihood supporting this intention? And then the ethical life becomes a support for and a condition for the, the settling. The, the effort for the meditation, the mindfulness, the concentration. And the, and the meditation practice, the, the effort, the, the mindfulness, the concentration, they support the conditions that give rise to the wisdom. And so, so we, have a, a, we have a cycle again. And each step is, is conditioned by the previous step. Of course, they all work together. It's not just one step, one step, one step. They all work together. But they all, but there is this, this process of, of conditioning, of one conditioning the other. And, and the, Buddha, the Buddha put great emphasis on, on exploring and, and understanding this, this conditioned arising. And he particularly put emphasis on exploring the conditioned arising and the process of conditioned arising in respect to the arising of the self. Um, there was, there was one, one little line that Molly kind of, um, she said it last night, but kind of moved over a little, little bit quickly. And it was the line, and, and I think she said that I would talk about it tonight. <laughs> she did. <laughs> she did. So it was it was the line about about dukkha being the um, the five aggregates. So the line in the in the sutta is the five aggregates fueled by clinging. The five aggregates, and I will speak about it. The five <laughs> aggregates. <laughs> the five aggregates later. The five aggregates referring to the self. The five aggregates referring to the self. So the self 
fueled by clinging. And the Buddha said, this is dukkha. And he didn't just say, this is dukkha. He, he actually, in the, in, the, in the paragraph, he goes through all the other things, birth, aging, sickness, death are dukkha, not getting what I want, getting what I don't want, separation, all these are dukkha. And then he says, in summary, underlying all of this dukkha, underlying all of this is the five aggregates, the self fueled by clinging. So ultimately, dukkha comes down to the clinging to self. And, and this, this process of dependent origination the Buddha uses to explain how this self comes into being and how the dukkha comes into being based on this selfing. And so the, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path are kind of short versions or short forms of dependent origination. And then he, he gives a much expanded, a much more detailed explanation of it. So as Molly said last night, the, the first discourse is kind of that's the starting point. And then for 45 years, he just kept finding ways to elaborate on that and to explain it and to, to kind of deconstruct it and, and make it understandable. And so he, he, he kind of deconstructs the, um, the Four Noble Truths. And, and he comes up, and he came up with a list of, um, <laughs> 23 steps <laughs> in this chain. <laughs> 23 steps in this, in this chain of dependent origination, which explains and describes the origin of dukkha, the dependent arising of dukkha, and the ending, the ending of dukkha. And, and uh, of course, this is um, the, the, the intention is, so this, so the, the, as, as the Dhamma does, as the teachings do, it gives a kind of a road map. And I'm going to go through this roadmap, but again, what's important is not to try to understand it, but to, to consider, okay, how does this show in my life? How can I bring this into my practice? And in fact, the Buddha says, did I mark? Oh, I don't think I marked the page. Um, There's, there's a, there's a sutta, oh, I'll never find it now. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a sutta where the, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, where he says, um, he's talking about dependent origination, and, and he, and he says to, he says to the monks, bhikkhus, um, if this view were to be taken up, cherished, held to, would this be understanding the Dharma? And the answer is no. <laughs> So it's, it's not to be taken up, cherished, held to. It's just a, it's just a map. It's, it's pointing the way. And, and as he said, it, it can't be known through reasoning. It's, it's, but it's to be experienced. And so it's, so it's pointing to our experience. And so this, this chain of events, this chain of dependent arising, it begins with ignorance. 
the Buddha begins this list with ignorance. So here we are, we're, we're in this lifetime, there's this body-mind here. What, is, what does he mean by ignorance? By ignorance he means, first of all, not understanding the Four Noble Truths. And he means not understanding the, um, the three characteristics. So not, not, not deeply experientially knowing the three, no, the, the three characteristics. So one way he describes it is believing things to be permanent when they're impermanent. <laughs> believing things to be separate when they're not separate, when they're interconnected. <coughs> believing things to be, um, to be pleasure when they're suffering. <laughs> so believing things to be other than they actually are. Not knowing, not being awake to how things actually are. This is, this is ignorance. And so, so in, the, in the presence of ignorance, in the presence of ignorance, because of the not knowing how things are, because of believing things to be different than they are, there's a tendency to think, speak, and act unskillfully. Okay? Because of that, we think, act, and speak unskillfully. And the, the, the unskillfulness, the, the unskillfulness is, is, is called the formations. It's the formations of the mind, the formations of speech, the formations <coughs> of the body. And these formations, in turn, condition our consciousness. Okay, so the, the, uh, the exa example that, example that I've, I've noticed is that these, um, these, these television attack ads that the politicians do, <laughs> in which they repeat over and over and over again, you know, like every 10 minutes, you get the message, and often they are outright untruths, but because they're repeated over and over and over again, they get embedded in the consciousness as being true. And they get believed. And when the unskillful thoughts, speech, and actions are repeated, the same thing happens. They condition the consciousness. And the consciousness, and then the consciousness just can't see that they're coming out of ignorance. Okay, so, so the, the ignorance conditions the formations, the formations condition the consciousness, the consciousness conditions the, in, um, in Pali it's nama rupa, um, which is translated as, um, it's, it's translated as mind-body, or mentality-materiality. Mind body is is a is a common translation of it, and 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 it's interesting here that the, that the Buddha in 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 viewing the this this being he doesn't say there's mind and there's body. It's mind body, or body mind, showing the the interconnectedness, the interdependence, the non-separateness of body and mind. So the so these the consciousness conditions the body mind. It conditions how we are. It conditions how we act, 
how we think, how we speak. The mentality materiality, the nama rupa, conditions the sense bases. Okay, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the, the tongue, the, the, the touch, the, the tactile, and the thinking process. Okay, so these, these are conditioned by the, the body-mind. The body-mind conditions the bases. Okay, now here's where we get, we, we get into the real, kind of the, the core of how dukkha arises. Okay, so, so here we are, in all our glorious ignorance, <laughs> thinking, acting, and speaking unskillfully, conditioning, conditioning the consciousness, which, which in turn is conditioning how this body-mind is, and dependent on this body-mind, conditioned by the body-mind, is the sense doors. Okay? Through the sense doors, through the sense doors, we connect with the world out there. We see the world out there, we hear the world out there, we smell the world out there, we, um, we can touch the world out there. We can think about the world out there. And also the world in here. Okay, we can we can see. Sometimes we see images within. You know, we're sitting with our eyes closed and we're seeing images. We can hear. Sometimes, maybe especially after lunch, we hear sounds within. Uh, <laughs> sometimes smells. <laughs> and and thinking about ourselves, thinking about the inner, thinking about the inner life. So, so, the, so the, the, the sense doors connect with sense objects. Okay? The sense doors connect with sense objects. And, and this, this connecting, in, in this connecting, there's, there's contact. There's contact. So we make contact with the world through these sense doors. So the contact with the sense world, with the, the contact with the world, is conditioned by these previous factors. It's dependent on them. Okay, does that make sense? Everyone following? Okay, can you see this in your own experience? Okay, the contact, we make contact, we make contact with the world when we see something, or hear something, or smell something, or taste something, or think about something, or touch something, what's the experience? How is the experience? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The Vedanas, the feeling. Okay? So the, so the contact conditions the feeling. Based on the contact, there's a, there's a feeling. Either the contact, either that, that moment of contact is pleasant, or it's unpleasant, or it's neutral. And that, of course, that the, the Vedana, the feeling, is conditioned by other factors as well, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to come to that. That's where the, the five aggregates come in. 
Okay, so the, the feeling, the Vedana, as Molly described this morning, that conditions the craving. And when the Buddha speaks of craving, he includes, included in that is aversion. So wanting, not wanting are two sides of the same coin. Okay? Not wanting is just another form of wanting. Okay? I want to have or I want to not have. I want to get or I want to get rid of. Okay? So whenever you hear craving, think both craving and aversion, desire and aversion, wanting and not wanting. Okay, so the, the feeling conditions the craving, the thirst. The craving, as it intensifies, conditions the clinging. Okay, the craving conditions the clinging. So we can see this in our lives, we can see how we, um, you know, maybe Maybe yesterday you had the, the thought, ice cream. <laughs> Wouldn't ice cream be nice? And, oh yeah, it would really be nice. And maybe the thought keeps popping up all through the morning. And then at lunchtime, was there ice cream yesterday at lunch? Yes, there was. <laughs> and then at lunchtime you go in and you say, oh, ice cream. <laughs> and there's the, the clinging. I really want that. And then maybe you have some and it's, oh, maybe I'll have a little bit more. <laughs> so the, the contact conditions the feeling, the feeling conditions the craving, the craving conditions the clinging. The clinging, the clinging, so the, the, next, the next step in this chain in Pali is bhava. And bhava has, has kind of has, has two implications. It's translated as being. So the craving conditions our existence in that moment. It conditions how we are in that moment. Okay? It can, the craving conditions the clinging. The clinging conditions the existence. Bhava also means becoming. Clinging, clinging conditions the becoming, and Molly, Molly spoke a bit about this last night. How the the because of clinging, we want to fix ourselves, or fix someone else, or fix something else. We don't like what is, and so we want to become something else. There's a clinging to an idea of how it should be or how I want it. And so we struggle to make it that way. Okay? And so this, the, the bhava, the, the existence, the way we are and the way we want to be <laughs> are conditioned by clinging. Bhava, this, this bhava, the existence and the, the being and the becoming, conditions birth. Okay, now traditionally this is traditionally this is regarded as the point at which we die and we're reborn. And and the reason that we're reborn is because we're clinging. There's clinging to the self. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I want to keep living. 
And so when we die, that clinging conditions being born again. So this is the traditional explanation. But we can also see how that clinging, in a, in a, you know, in, and you could see, we could see it metaphorically, but I think we can see that it, there's, there's more than metaphor in it. The, the clinging conditions kind of a new us. It conditions a birth into a new, a new way of being. So, so um, maybe um, the clinging gave rise to eating a bit too much ice cream. <laughs> and eating too much ice cream gave birth to a me who had a sore stomach. <laughs> okay, it, it conditions a new way of being, a birth, a becoming of a, of a, of a new, of a different whoever you are. Okay, and birth, birth, because we're born, because we're born, conditions dukkha. Because we're born, based on all of these, conditioned by all of this, conditioned by the ignorance, conditioned by the craving, conditioned by the clinging, conditioned by the, the becoming, there's the birth, and because all of this is going on, there's dukkha. And so this is, this is the chain of events that, that the Buddha outlines that explains how dukkha arises. Okay, and it, and it is, it's, it's, it's quite reasonable, quite logical. But again, it's not to be known through reason or logic. It's known through really giving attention to our lives, giving attention in each moment and seeing what's going on in each moment and, and, and recognizing this chain of events. And so when we're, when we're, when we're doing our walking, you know, feeling the, the foot touching the ground and you feel how the, the experience, the sensation in the foot changes when the ground changes. You feel how, how the ground conditions the experience, and then the experience can be unpleasant or pleasant or neutral, and that conditions, oh, that's nice. I think I'll come back here tomorrow and walk at this place again. <laughs> or, oh, no, this ground's a bit hard here. I think I'll look for a different place. Yeah. And, and so it conditions desire, craving, clinging to a particular experience, moving to a different location, <laughs> becoming, being reborn in a sense in that, in that new place. And then it's, oh, this is no different than the other place. <laughs> you know? Or in the sitting, well, I'm sitting on a cushion and it's really uncomfortable and you know, I get sore back, I'll try a bench. Sit on the bench, oh, my knees are sore, it doesn't even know this. I'll try a chair, sit in the chair, oh, the back isn't just right, it's not, <laughs> maybe I need more cushions or more of this or more of that. And the, the, the same process is at work here. Do you see that? Do you feel it? <laughs> okay, and, and there's the dukkha. 
So I'll just, just backtrack a little bit. The, the Buddha goes on, but I just want to backtrack and, and kind of um, deconstruct in a little bit more detail even this, this, um, this section of consciousness, nama rupa, sense basis, contact, feeling, craving, clinging, existence. So, um, so this is where the, where the five aggregates come in. So the, so the Buddha said dukkha is the five aggregates fueled by clinging. And so the, the, this, this, this phrase fueled by clinging is, is a really important one. The Buddha very often uses an image of fire to, to, to explain lots of different things. So it's, it's, so dukkha is the five aggregates when fueled by clinging. So the clinging perpetuates. The clinging, it's the clinging that gives the sense of solidity and permanence and continuity. Okay, the clinging, the clinging fuels this sense of this delusion of permanence, solidity. And so in the absence of clinging, in the absence of clinging, in the absence of the fuel, the five aggregates are still here. And this is an important point because so often the idea comes that it's all about eliminating the self. Okay, you hear the phrase, kill the ego, get rid of the ego. But it's, it's not about the five aggregates. The five aggregates, that's, that's life, that's what's here. It's the, the, the dukkha is tied in with the fueling of that perception, that belief of solidity, of permanence. And that's fed by the clinging. Okay, so it's a very subtle point because it happens in very subtle ways, the fueling of this. It's a very subtle point, but it's a very critical point. So what are the five aggregates? The five aggregates basically can be broken down into two aggregates, mind and body, or body and mind. And then the Buddha breaks it down even finer. The Buddha breaks it down finer to show more clearly what the process is. And so this body. Here I am sitting here. There's this body. There's this body here. And this, this body has come into existence because of certain conditions, like a mother and a father. <laughs> and it's here as it appears right now because of certain conditions. Okay, so all kinds of conditions affect how this body is right now. You know, how much I ate at dinner affects how the body is right now. How much I slept last night affects how the body is right now. Um, how, whether the clothing is too much or not enough for the weather conditions how the body is right now. Just countless conditions that, that feed into how this body is right now. This, is, this also is anatta. The body is not separate from all these conditions. So the, so the first of the five aggregates is, is the body. And then the, the next four are different aspects of mind. 
okay? And I, I change, I change the, um, the traditional order a little bit because I, I, it can be explained much more clearly, I feel, by changing the traditional order. So there's the body. The second aggregate is, is consciousness. And so the body houses the sense doors, just as in the, in the dependent origination list. The body houses the sense doors. And through the sense doors, we connect with the world. So there's an eye, and the eye opens, and there's visual objects. There's each of you out there, there's a fan up there, there's a wall there, there's cushions, there's things on the floor. The eye, okay, so if the eye is, try it. If you close your eyes. <laughs> close your eyes. <laughs> now open your eyes. And what happens when you open your eyes? Seeing. Seeing happens. Okay? The eye opens and it, it connects with the objects. And in that connection, seeing happens. Okay, now, now here, here's a this a, this is a, a, an important, interesting piece. When the eye is open, do you have to do anything to make that seeing happen? No. Seeing happens. Seeing arises dependent on the coming together, conditioned by the coming together of the sense door and the object. They come together and seeing, seeing happens. That, that, that basic seeing that happens without anyone doing anything, just that natural, that natural process that happens, that's referred to as consciousness. Okay? So the second, the second, the second aggregate consciousness arises dependent on the sense door, which is the body, and the object coming together. And the same thing happens with the ear and a sound, the nose and a smell, the tongue and a taste, the, the body and a touch, and the mind and a thought. That one's a little more difficult to see and understand, but it's, it's the same process. Okay? So there's the body, there's the consciousness, in that moment, in that, in that seeing, in that seeing, actually the next two aggregates kind of happen sort of parallel to each other and, and influencing each other. And one of, one of them is what's referred to as perception. So we have body, we have consciousness, we have perception. And perception is the the aspect of mind that perceives an object. Okay, so there's a moment of just the seeing, and then the mind comes in with perception, and it perceives an object out there. It separates a particular object from everything else. It separates out that object. And it gives it a name. It gives it a name, okay? And this is all very much influenced by memory. So memory is also an aspect of perception. 
So memory comes into play very quickly and tells me person, <laughs> cushion, fan. Okay? So there's, there's the perception. And what's happening along with perception is the Vedana, the feeling. So based on the contact, the consciousness, there's the Vedana, the feeling. In that moment of seeing, either it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Okay? You're following all of this? Now, what happens here, it's very subtle, but what, what, what's happening is that in, in the perception perceiving the object out there, it's also perceiving me who's seeing that object. Okay? So the, the, the seeing arises just naturally because of a coming together, because of non-separateness. It's conditioned by the two coming together. And then the mind comes in with perception and separates them. And it gives the illusion of me separate from it. Me here, it there. Whatever the it is. Okay? So now we've got body, we've got consciousness, we've got perception, we've got feeling, and the fifth aggregate is referred to as mental formations. And mental formations are all the stories that start up. The stories that start up about me and about it. And these five aggregates put together and all working together, interacting, each dependent on the other in a sense, create an image and an idea about and a belief in me and it. <coughs> and because of the perception of separateness and because of the, the Vedana, <coughs> what arises in the mental formations is the thought that I like that, I have to get it. <laughs> I don't like that, I want to keep it away. Okay? So the, the desire and the aversion the craving arise from that perception and the Vedana. And then comes the clinging. The clinging. And, and at a very subtle level, the wanting and the not wanting, it, it, it really, the, the the, the, the feeling, the, the feeling, the Vedana, 
and, and, and this is a this is an area where the mind really manipulates. <laughs> the the mind associates the Vedana with the object, rather than recognizing that the Vedana arises out of the contact, the coming together, the non-separateness. It associates with the object, and therefore I want that or I don't want that, believing that my happiness is based on having it, or my happiness is based on not having it. Okay? So the, the, the craving and the clinging, when we, when we understand this, we see that the craving and the clinging are really about me. It's not really about the object. It's about this sense of me and wanting me to feel a certain way or to be a certain way. And this is the five aggregates fueled by clinging. And this, this clinging to self and the wanting not wanting that arises out of that, this is the dukkha. Okay, so within this within this chain so to 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 know the end of dukkha to end the dukkha requires breaking this chain somewhere and one way of breaking the chain one way of breaking the chain is to look at this process to to give attention to this process and see okay here i am i've been born i've got this body mind okay whether I like it or not, here it is. <laughs> I've got it. Because there's a body-mind, there's contact. The eyes are functioning, the ears somewhat. The ears are functioning somewhat. <laughs> functioning gets less and less. <laughs> the, the, the sense doors are functioning. And because of that, contact is unavoidable. Because it happens. It's not me doing it. It's just a natural process that happens. The contact happens. The consciousness, the consciousness arises. The consciousness happens. The Vedana happens because there are memories. There are past experiences. There is the perception of, of separateness. The feelings the feelings arise, the Vedanas arise. If we can see that and know that as it's happening, as it's happening, to know that this is happening, not me doing it. It's not a me. It's not me and it's not my consciousness or my feeling. It's just the process happening. And the Buddha, the Buddha so often uses the phrase, see this as not me, not mine. And when we, when we recognize this and know this, then the craving and the clinging don't happen. The chain gets broken. Okay, so, so this is why it's, it's, it's so important to, to begin to give attention to the Vedana and to give attention, to start to, to, to feel, to experience in, in the body-mind this process happening. 
so that it's known from experience, not just as an idea, as a concept. Okay, so that's, so that's one, one way of, of breaking this chain. But then the Buddha goes on and he says, Dukkha, Dukkha conditions faith. Dukkha conditions faith. This is, this is an interesting one. I see a few looks of, hmm? <laughs> Dukkha conditions faith. So example, example I've, I've come up with <laughs> that's, that's shown to me with this is I'm, I'm suffering, I'm, I'm sick, uh, I'm in pain, I need, I need to get fixed. <laughs> and thought comes, oh, I need to see the doctor. Why do I need to see the doctor? Because I have faith that the doctor will be able to, whether it's true or not, I have faith that the doctor will be able to help me. And so in the presence of dukkha, the dukkha con the conditions faith. So the dukkha conditions faith in the possibility of ending the dukkha. And this brings us back to the, the first three noble truths. Okay, the dukkha conditions the faith in the, and then the faith, faith conditions delight. <laughs> faith conditions delight. So carrying on with the doctor thing, I call the doctor, make, I call the doctor's office and I make the appointment. And as soon as I make the appointment, already I start to feel better. <laughs> Have you noticed that? <laughs> And by the time you get to the doctor, <laughs> the symptoms are all gone. <laughs> I mean, how many have noticed that? <laughs> okay, so the, the, faith, the faith conditions delight, feeling better. The delight conditions rapture, great joy. It's, yeah, oh, it just feels so much lighter. Rapture, rapture is, is defined as, a, as a, an uplifting joy. It's a joy that uplifts, so it gives a sense of lightness. Okay? The rapture conditions tranquility. Okay, so the rapture conditions tranquility. The, so the rapture, the rapture, that, 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 that sense of lightness, that sense of ease, the sense of spaciousness, brings, ah, okay, okay, I'm going to see the doctor and I'm going to be better. There's a, there's a calmness, there's a tranquility that comes with that. And the tranquility conditions happiness. Then I feel happy, ah, wonderful, good. Now I can go about my life until, I, until the appointment day comes up. And the happiness, the happiness allows for a settling. And that settling becomes concentration. Then I can focus on what I need to be doing or what I want to do because I'm not so concerned anymore. There's lightness and there's happiness. So I'm not dwelling on being sick. So I can, I can focus. So concentration comes. Then concentration conditions Knowledge and vision of things as they are. Okay, so this is where the meditation practice comes in. So the, the settling and the concentration, and very important here to remember, and Molly mentioned it also, how the 
a requirement for right concentration is happiness. So concentration isn't that. <laughs> Got to just stay with the breath. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be thinking. I shouldn't be hearing that sound. I should just be with it. We can get concentrated like that, but it's not right concentration. Right concentration is this concentration that just naturally arises when we're interested in something and enjoying it, and and. With, when there's ease with it, then the concentration just naturally arises, and and in the in the context of the meditation, as that as that settling and that that focus that that sense that I've spoken about of being at rest with, being at rest in the body, being at rest with the breath, being at rest in the walking. That sense of being at rest with. That allows for a clarity of seeing, of knowing, a clarity of, of feeling the impermanence, a clarity of feeling the unreliability of, of an experience. Okay, the clarity of knowing the, the unsatisfactoriness of things because they're going to change knowing the dukkha of things because they're going to change. And, and with, that, with that settling and that focusing, that concentration, that, that mindfulness, with all these qualities, we start to, to really feel that as experience. There's a big, long Pali word that's translated as knowledge and vision of things as they are. When it's broken down and translated literally, it it comes out to seeing things, knowledge gained of things, without additions, according to reality. So it's without interpretation, without adding on anything. It's just a direct experiential knowing. Knowledge gained of things without additions, according to reality, conditions um, the Pali word is nibida, and the translation that you often, the, the, the common translation is disenchantment. And it's a word that I, I really love, disenchantment. Mm -hmm. it, it breaks the enchantment, the way that we're enchanted by things, the way that we're enchanted by the self. It's like they cast a spell on us, and we're enchanted by them. And, and so knowing how things actually are leads to conditions disenchantment. Disenchantment. It's like the, the fantasy is broken. Disenchantment, disenchantment conditions viraga, which is translated as dispassion. But what it, what it means is <laughs> the, one of the dictionary translations is thoroughly tired of the world. <laughs> Just tired of these things that enchant. Tired of these things that enchant. Tired of worldly things. Just knowing that they're not going to bring me peace and happiness. I can't rely on them. Dispassion 
conditions release. Okay, so so just in that in that in that in that being thoroughly tired is the beginning of the release. And then the release comes. The release comes. The dispassion conditions release. And release in 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 the release that conditions <coughs> the the knowing of the release the knowing of it the knowing of the the liberation the knowing of the liberation and that's what it is that release is the liberation and so the the liberation the liberation is the the ending of ignorance. So it goes back to the first step. And so, so this is another way of breaking the chain. Through, this is the way of breaking the chain th really through insight, through, through knowledge, through insight. And the ignorance is ended. So in the first instance, in, when we break the chain at the point of feeling, of, of feeling giving rise to craving, giving rise to clinging, we break the chain there and it ends, it ends, the, it ends the dukkha then, but the, the, the ignorance hasn't been eliminated. And so it comes back. And we see this, we see this. We, we have some great insight and we feel so free. And it feels like, wow, I'm enlightened. It's, it's done. Or <laughs> we, have, we have some habit. And we, and we break that habit. And we think we're done with it. It comes back. <laughs> and why does it come back? Why? Because the, 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 the ultimate underlying cause hasn't been eliminated. The chain has been broken. It's like it's like taking weeds out of the garden. You know, you cut out the weeds, and you look at the garden. Great, the weeds are gone. <laughs> and then you come back next day, and there's just these little bits of green things sticking <laughs> up. <laughs> and you know, and there they are, because the root is still there. So the root, the root is the ignorance, and and so we can we can get we can get an actual experience of liberation. And we can, we can know it, and we do, we all do. And, 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 and to a large extent, that's what keeps us going on the path. If we didn't have that experience, we'd go off and look for something else. But ultimately, it's the removal of the ignorance that removes the dukkha and and with the removal of with the removal of ignorance the dukkha just does not arise and this is this is the this is the the liberation that the that the buddha is pointing at the total destruction the total destruction of ignorance of, of unskillful thoughts, actions, speech, the total elimination 
of craving and clinging. Okay, so again, what's, what's important with all this is to see how does this, how does this show in my life? How does it show in my practice? How can I apply my practice? How do I apply my practice to really understanding this? Not, not by taking this list and trying to memorize it and, and remember it. And, and when I'm feeling dukkha, start to think, okay, what happens now? This is <laughs> but to look to our actual experience and see what's, what's showing. And then we see, then we feel this process happening. And whether it's, whether it's seeing this chain and, and breaking the chain at, at craving and clinging and, and it comes back, or whether we completely eliminate, the, the goal is the, the ending of dukkha. And whether it's just ended for now or ended for good, in a sense, you know, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter. What's important is the investigation and the and the and the practice and the and the 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 the, the perseverance with it, balanced by patience, so that we we keep up the interest and keep up the the mindfulness and keep up the the investigation, and then the energy keeps up, and then the the joy keeps up, and then the the, the the rapture keeps up, and then the, the concentration keeps up, and then the then the, the the wisdom, the understanding, the insight comes. The revelation happens. So, real encouragement in the practice to to give it to to start to to really really give attention, give attention with with caring, with with kindness and gentleness, but with persistence and patience. And, and, and not being satisfied, not being satisfied with just a little calmness, a little relaxation, a little bit of peace until I go home. Yeah. Setting up a more clear intention than that. And, 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 and truly being free. So let's sit quietly for a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.